It's the California Wine Country Podcast with Steve Jackson and Dan Berger. We taste, we laugh, we learn. It's California Wine Country brought to you by Bottle Barn with Dan Berger. Our guest today, the return of Greg Morthol, a winemaker at Davis Bynum. Greg, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, Steve. Um, as you know, a huge fan of Davis Bynum. And uh, it's wonderful to have you back to talk about uh, the, the wonderful wines. Uh, on the website, it says the original Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. Yeah, and, you know, that does take a little explaining. You know, there's... Uh, yeah. You wine, got some explaining wine, to do, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Winemaking history goes way, way back, of course, in California, and and uh, I mean you can you can take that in a lot of directions. And sure. Back to you know 1850s in Sonoma County, of course, and there's a lot of stories going there. So what that's what's that referring to is that Davis Bynum made the first uh, single vineyard Russian River Pinot Noir back in 1973. Yeah. Um, you know, as so designated on the label. Anyway, he made he made the wine from Joe. Rocchioli's grapes just down the road um, after building his winery on West Side Road, which was the first uh, first winery on West Side Road anyway, and built it out of an old hop kiln, and, you know, things just took off. But yeah, he was, uh, he was one of those guys way back when. And it's not to, you know, certainly one who... Uh, shout out that there's probably other people that were doing it maybe they just didn't put it on the label right. that way and that type of thing but you know pino had been uh, had been planted by the rocciolis in uh, i think 1968 been planted by joe swan i think maybe the next year and you know so things were shaken it was kind of you know the the post-war <coughs> thing that was happening and uh, and they were in the right spot at the right time and somewhere in my yeah, cellar dan, dan uh, go ahead and run down your thoughts on well, yeah Davis well, somewhere Biden. in my cellar i've got a bottle of that 73 <laughs> seriously really? yeah, yeah you'll never find it oh, no I, i'll find it I, I i'm pretty sure i know where it is well, give, <laughs> me a, give me a call when you find it <laughs> well, i'll let you know and it'll be really good in about seven years <laughs> <right>? <laughs> <laughs> I rep, I 73 me. it's a little early let's, uh, let's lay this down for a while well after after davis uh, retired and and uh and moved to uh full retirement status when uh Klein family acquired the brand, and it uh, it really took off in a certain way that uh, a lot of people don't uh, realize. And I think most importantly is the wine stability started to improve because Davis really was underfunded for a number of the years toward the end of his life as a uh, full-time winemaker. And when the clients came in, they really put in a lot of Investment and this property has really taken off. The, the wines are exceptional. That's why we want them on the air. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, sometimes those early pioneers, some of them, some of them make it all the way through to, to big, big heights. But uh, sometimes they they break the hard rocks so that others can come in behind them. And, and to some degree, I feel like that's what Davis did. All right, you know, I, I've mentioned this last time you were in. I, I was good friends with Hampton Bynum. Yeah. We did some major partying in the 80s, and uh, luckily the, uh, what do you call it, the, where it's, we, we can't get indicted for anything. The statute of <laughs> limitations. <laughs> no, okay. yes. yeah. so I, but that's all I'll say. <laughs> he looks at me and expects me to know exactly what he's thinking You're, about a really out there subject. You're supposed to read my mind. I'm doing my best, and you do. but it's blank. <laughs> this is a game show with no winner. 
Uh, Greg, talk about a little more about the history of Davis Bynum. Oh, you bet. So Davis goes way back. I mean, he was born in 1925 uh, down in L.A., I think, but in Pasadena. 1951, he made his first homemade wine. He and a, he and a friend were up on Spring Mountain, and they just decided they were going to go down in the valley and go find somebody who was selling grapes and get some grapes if they could and make some wine. So anyway, they... They rolled down the valley in their car, and, and uh, they must have went up to Krug because the first person they ran into was Robert Mondavi. Wow. So they bought a lug of grapes off of Robert Mondavi, uh, Petit Sra, as he told me, and uh, bought it for a buck eighty. Took it back, fermented it, said it, it drank well, and then a couple of weeks later ended up going up farther up valley and ran into Louis Martini, who ended up being one of his friends you know, from an older generation eventually. And bought some Cabernet off of him, and that was the, that was the early early start, uh, going from '51, and then all the way homemaking went all the way until 1965. But during those years, wow. those 15 years, he was a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. That's right. So that was his day job. That's what he was doing. That's right. Then fortunes changed. The winds of change came blowing through, and uh, he was about 40 years old, 1965. And um, he was back in Sonoma County after going down to L.A. for just a brief period, uh, being an editor for a periodical or something. And um, he just he things that didn't work out down there, so he's back in town. He just decided, you know, why the heck not? He started a winery, um, either bought or rented an old plumbing warehouse in Albany County, in, in Albany, in, uh, in the East Bay, and then turned that into a little winery. He bought a Studebaker truck with a, like a 1,000-gallon, 1,500-gallon tank on the back uh, and you know, started making wine down there in Albany and selling it to the, the students and the professors and anybody who'd walk through the door. <laughs> and in those days, you, know, you had a lot of, you know, just like Rodney Strong, very parallel uh, stories here and others. They were buying uh, bulk wines and blending them to taste, you know, and then bottling that. And Rodney, Rodney was very much doing the same thing. And then from there, you know, he ended up buying a vineyard up in Napa, which is now the property that's Whitehall Lane. So he owned that. Uh, it was planted to an odd mix of varietals back then. But uh, he wanted to build a winery. People came out of the woodwork uh, to prevent that from happening you know they just they didn't want i don't know the business there whatever so he ended up selling it and moved over to sonoma county he had a fateful evening a dinner at uh, with the allen family they had a bottle of their homebrew pinot on the table you know they live right next to the rochiolis and uh, it knocked him out said it reminded him of a, a delicious burgundy and he packed it in. He sold that place in Napa and moved over to Sonoma County. Talk about winery. the involvement of the uh, iconic Tom Klein. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Davis met Tom Klein uh, back in, oh, I think it was in the 90s sometime. They were, um, they were at a, an event in London at a wine fair, and they were kind of personing the stable together. And so Davis at the time kind of mentioned that he might one day want to sell his brand or his winery and tom said well you know <laughs> give me a call maybe one and at this point you know tom had probably owned owned rodney strong for a few years um and so push came to shove davis was ready to sell his winery he gave tom a call in 2007 and they shook hands on it so uh tom and his family tom, the klein family are fourth generation family farmers they own uh, many acres in the Central Valley. They farmed beans a long time ago. Their family came from the East Coast to the West Coast right around the turn of the century. Hmm. Uh, lived in San Francisco through the 1906 earthquake. Um, yeah, they, they're 
their agricultural roots run deep. Dan? Sir? Thoughts? <clears throat> I think uh, the area that uh, Rodney Strong and uh, Davis Bynum wineries are located in is one of the most beautiful places in the world to grow fine wine. And uh, the Klein family really understood completely how to deal with issues that uh, gave us some really distinctive wines, and not just ordinary, everyday wines, but really high quality. The, uh, the nice part is that they're all accessible and they're all fairly reasonably priced, and part of that is the fact that the clients have really spent a lot of their time investing in the, the property rather than taking the profits home. And those wines are really a, a good reflection of the equipment that has been purchased and the development of the vineyards that have been really carefully tended. And, uh, Greg, you started working, I guess, with Rodney Strong in 05? Yeah, 2005. And then you became winemaker at uh, Davis Bynum uh, in, what, 2010? 2010, yep. Wow. Yeah, it's been a, it's been, uh, <laughs> a little while. The cellar wine. <laughs> Oh, we got to do Dan's cellar wine. It is a Davis Bynum wine. And it's a 2011, which means that Greg made it. I did. And it came out of my yeah. cellar because <laughs> I happen to love the 11 vintage, and I put it away for 10 years, and there it is. And if you don't think that putting away any red wines pays, that pays. That, uh, this is twice as good as it was when it came out. Uh, Greg, tell mm -hmm. us about this wine. Yeah, so this was, um, the vineyard is called Jane's, and it's on Woolsey Road, which is right behind Martinelli Winery. It's a couple of stones throw behind Martinelli there, if you're local and you know where that is. Um, it's got these kind of rolling hills to it, so I kind of think of it as these big, big, wide ocean waves. I mean, you kind of get a 30-foot rise and 30-foot drop here and there, so you've kind of got, that's the topography. And um, the, vine, the, the vineyard itself is planted to nine different clones of Pinot Noir. Uh, back then, actually, it was eight, so eight clones at the time. And uh, we made the most of them. You know, we had a couple of the Swiss clones, 2A and 23, the Vaudensville and Mariafeld clone. Very That have thicker unusual. skins. Yeah a, little, yeah, a little more unusual. And then there's a selection of Dijon clones, which ripen earlier. They kind of lend a lot more of a fruit punch to the wine, in my opinion. And there was a heritage clone, the Pomar, which Dr. Harold Olmo brought over from, you know, from, from Pomar in the 1940s or 50s, I'm told. And uh, it kind of lends a little bit of a leathery, mushroomy, umami character to the wine. And, That's delicious. you know, those things just kind of... Tell us a little bit about the 2011 vintage. It was an extremely cold vintage, actually. And so a kind of an interesting bookend. And um, I'm thrilled that you brought this because I've had this a few years ago was the last time I had this. It was drinking great then. But it kind of matches the prediction of like, okay, you can take a, a really, really cold vintage like that and make really great wine. Pinot Noir... I mean, after all, if you compare it to Chardonnay, Chardonnay, you know, there's a, some Chardonnay growing, of course, Southern Alexander Valley, Robert Young's 
famously as Chardonnay up there. Um, Dry Creek Chardonnays in the southern part, but Pinot Noir not so much. In fact, I don't know of any Pinot Noir in in southern Alexander Valley or Dry Creek. It doesn't handle the heat so much. I mean, it just blows the wine apart. So in a cold vintage like this, you're going to hang on to the acid. Uh, you can get this really really bright berry fruit tone generally, and depending on where you're growing and you know a little bit to the winemaking, you can you can just kind of play around with those elements. It's a 2011 Pinot from Davis Bynum from uh, Dan Berger's cellar. Dan, tell me why I love this so much. This is amazing. Bright cherry. Ten years old, and as you said, bright cherries. It tasted. It tastes a lot better now than it did 10 years ago. It was fruitier before. It had more cherries. Now the cherries are still there. They've held on. But you've got a secondary characteristic, that forest floor, that rustic forest floor character, which is really Burgundian. But it's not so much that it's taken over. What it's doing is adding a second layer. In another five years, this wine's going to have a third layer. Now, the problem is I have no more of this. (laughs) That's it. I had the two bottles and I drank them both. Now this is it. Yeah. Greg, what can you do about that? <laughs> I'm guessing I could come up with probably about a half a case <laughs> at the most. But yeah, wow, that's could, good. That's could, delicious stuff. Yeah, Harry, um, beautifully flavored, and I like what you say about the subtleness of the cherry, and the finish sneaks up on you, doesn't it? <laughs> really, and it stays with you. It lasts, and it's rich yeah. without it being alcoholic. Yeah, I don't even know what the alcohol is on the label, but it's not very high. And the interesting thing is that it carries its weight because of the acidity, not because of the alcohol. The alcohol is the weighty p- component, but it's the acid that you you know about in the aftertaste. And it's something that uh, throughout the brand actually is more of a defining characteristic for our wines. It's something that I like to wrap the wine around is the acidity, whether you're talking about the Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, or the Pinot Noir. Perfect. You're trying to find the alcohol level. I am. It's, it's 14.5. Well, it's what it, well, it's, 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 that's what it, we must it have, has to say legally. Yeah, on the it's going to say it on the label. It's probably closer to fourteen. Well, yeah, you know, we started rounding to the nearest um, half a percent because I think we were we if we exported any at all, there was a decision made at one point in time. If you're exporting, you know, you had to put an extra sticker on the bottle. If you said it was 14.1 or 14.25 or something like that, and you're you're sending like a little bit to Germany or something like that, you had to stick a sticker on there that rounded. It was like EU rules or something. Right, okay. So we ended up rounding to the nearest half. That's almost that's that's but, almost like candy. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really glad you brought that, Dan. Thank you. Yeah, throw- I had no idea you were bringing this. Well, I didn't tell you. <laughs> what foods? I'm thinking any foods, really. But to me, a, a Pinot Noir of this nature, with the silkiness and the low tannins, I would just go for some rare roast beef and make this the head of the the meal, rather than make the the the, the dish the focal point. Make the wine the focal point and just bring, put some simple rare roast beef on the table and enjoy the wine for what it is. You you don't need uh, fat and protein to deal with tannins because there's none here. I can see this just being served with hors d'oeuvres. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cheese. Yeah. Charcuterie. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That would be wonderful. What a delicious wine. It really is good. A 2011 Davis Bynum Pinot. Absolutely. Wow. My love for cold vintages stands out. (laughs) It's California Wine Country with uh, Dan Berger, brought to you by Bottle Barn. Our guest today, Greg Morthol, winemaker at Davis Bynum. 
I just love the Dana Davis Bynum wines, and uh, this is an 18 Pinot? 18 Pinot Noir. That's right. Yeah, it's an 18 Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. And so this is coming, uh, this is made from two different vineyards, one of which is in the, the warmer central area of the Russian River. So, again, that Jane's Vineyard that's right in the, the heart of the Russian River. Uh, just off. And, and then a third, the other third of it is made from the Dutton Ranches. So out in Green Valley area. So it's really this mix of uh, what our mainstay is, you know, that we've been making Pinot Noirs from, where out in the heart of the Russian River where you get those riper fruit tones, and you just you get these nice velvety tannins and the oh, richness. It's, it's and velvety and smooth, and I love this 18. Uh, I'll tell you, the 2011 that Dan brought in was something totally unique to me and just Unbelievable! It's, it's and, where and it's, it makes me think of food. This one, I don't need food. It's so no, this smooth is, and this velvety. This is a very drinkable wine as it is, but it needs a couple of three years. the The problem with a lot of wine in California is released too soon. And if you get a wine like this and you take it home and drink it, you'll enjoy it. But you'll enjoy it twice as much if you wait three years. And three is not a long time to wait for Pinot Noir, let me tell you. Well, for you, you, it's overnight. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, I mean, uh, take this now, this 18, and decant it for a couple hours, and and you're 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 good to go. Take it home, decant it, and wait for an hour. Slam dunk. And folks who enjoy a fruitier wine would enjoy this. Precisely, because this wine is really priced so reasonably. This is a really in the $45 to $55 range and it's $35 and with the discounts you'll find it for 30 It's a bargain. It's an absolute slam dunk bargain. And, and Greg, the uh, availability forget about the 2011 but uh, uh, you know, recent and current uh, Davis Bynum offerings you're all over Bottle Barn, I'm sure. Yeah, we're absolutely. Bottle Barn's been a fantastic, um, you know, a, a rela- we've had a relationship with Bottle Barn, as I think most local producers have. So of course. Yeah. Bottle Barn's, you know, a go-to place for me. I come and see us, so our tasting room is back open. You need to uh, make a reservation, but we're open Thursday through Monday. Uh, 10.30 to 5, and Davis Bynum is being poured at the Rodney Strong Tasting Room. There's a Davis Bynum flight that you can have up there, five wines. Uh, there's a Rodney Strong flight, and then there's another flight you can choose from called Rowan, which is uh, an upper-tier, uh, interesting uh, set of Rodney Strong wines made from this vineyard called the Cooley Ranch way out there north of Lake Sonoma. So you do have those three options, but the Davis Bynum flight is absolutely delicious, and uh, you know it'll range from the Sauv Blanc, the Chardonnay, um, and then into our, our uh, field of our Pinot Noirs. Dan, can you talk about Davis Bynum, the man? He was such a gentleman. He was so kind and so uh, soft-spoken. He had such a wonderful passion for uh, European-style wines. He was always looking to make his wines uh, representative of the best of Burgundy or Bordeaux. His Merlot was not to be believed. People didn't understand how good his Merlot was. It was a special, special wine. But... uh, but Davis was always very under the under the radar. He he kept his uh, uh, opinions to himself. If he liked something, he he told you. If he didn't like something, you would never find out. <laughs> mm. 
he was an interesting man. I loved him. Yeah. He, he told me once that Merlot was his worst mistake. But, you know, I think it depended on your perspective. <laughs> well, he loved it, apparently, yeah. but he couldn't sell it. He, yeah. he told, in fact, at one point he said to me, he says, you know why I can't sell my Merlot? It's because of you, he said. And I said, what do you mean, me? He said, well, not you per se, but all of you guys who write about wine, you don't write about my Merlot. And I said, well, two weeks ago I wrote about your Merlot. He says, well, that was the first time, wasn't it? <laughs> ah. Hey, I love this. What is this? This is the uh, just 18... A ninth, well, the, oh, the previous Pinot, I just poured around. I don't know okay. if the people could okay. hear the splashing noises of us pouring okay. the wine behind the scenes, but uh, yeah, so you this, were very this is a 19. pouring that. Okay. This is a 19 Dutton Ranches Pinot Noir. Wow. So we I do, thought they were the best of them. Yeah, yeah. The Dutton Ranches are, are fantastic. Um, cool, cool climate Pinot Noir out in Green Valley area, mm. you know, west of Laguna, out in that area. I mean, the wow. fog, uh, the fog-covered hills. It's got a raspberry and pomegranate yeah. kind of smell to it. There you go. It's really got that Russian River's uh, distinctiveness. And what's really fascinating is the aftertaste. Oh, good gracious. Yeah. That stuff, the aftertaste just goes on and on and on. And this one, this one makes me think of aging it 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like you had with that 2011. You know, this is one that Finally, I'd like to Finally, Dan, you've a got a compadre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping to I'm get invited alone. to Dan's house for that other bottle. <laughs> yeah, the other bottle, yeah. Oh, this is really Oh, 19 was a good vintage. But we have uh, several good vintages coming up. Now, you have to be careful because in some vintages, we've had some smoke taint, and there's none in here whatsoever. Well, what's really nice is that this is the primary fruit here is like a, it's like a Mack truck. It just drives right through the center of the wine. And then in the aftertaste. You know, you don't often hear Mack truck used in a re- uh, yeah, reflection talking about wine. Well, wine you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's enough fruit in here. I mean, it's pretty, it's right <laughs> up front. But it's cool climate. It's, it's the Dutton family. Boy, they are really the, the, one of the best growers in the county. They're really terrific. Yeah, yeah. Now, Dan, you've done a good job in bringing me up on my wine knowledge and lingo. You referred to the aftertaste on this wine. What is the difference between aftertaste and finish? I think they're the same. I think the, the bottom line is that after you've swallowed the wine and you're sitting there for about a minute and a half waiting to see how careful you can sneak another sip before anybody notices you're guzzling... <laughs> While you're waiting for that, you you get a sense of the, what the wine really is. It's a it's a perception that it's not something that you call taste or smell. It's just something that's like an impression, and that aftertaste, which is an impression, can often tell you more about the wine than the taste itself, especially when the wine's young. And that's impressive to me because in he, in this case, here's an example: if you were to put this wine into brand new French oak barrels. You'd smell and taste them. I don't want that in my wine. I want fruit. This has got fruit. Well, and that speaks to the vineyard, you know, because this has a fair amount of new oak in it, but it's because because that vineyard is so powerful in terms of its primary fruit that we can kind of match that with some oak still under the radar a, a touch i think to your point but you know we could go overboard and you just go knock it out but you know we do that and um we did ferment this in punchins so there's eight punchins which are larger size barrels you put them up on their heads right up on their ends and then pop the top off fill them up with grapes and then you come in every day twice a day actually in our case and 
punch them down with a big potato masher looking thing. So that just simply pushes the fruit down into the wine, and the yeast love it, the winemakers love it, I love it. Not you the know, most elegant description of winemaking there, <laughs> now was it? But it's really Harry, it's the drive. Do. Elegance does not uh, factor in. <laughs> yeah, but it's the best way to make wine if you can afford to do it. Now, it's, it's, it's human uh, involvement, which means it's time-consuming and it's expensive. Yeah, there's but no pumps. Th- you yeah, just... you can't you can't use machines to do this stuff. You got to do it by hand. And if you do it, you make a wine like this. Yeah, it builds muscle too. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> you feel your muscles, your shoulders burning. You know, after it's an doing that five minutes. Program. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm in love with this wine. I think it's delicious. And it it's our, is it released yet? This one is released, I believe, to the wine club just as of yet. Um, I, I, there's no way in the world that I would drink this today. No, you know, I want to say... We, but you are, is, Dan. You well, are. Well, you opened it. I'm not going to leave it sit on the table. It's in the wine club. and I, Yeah, I believe this is part of the flight that you could taste at, at Rodney Stone. That's impressive. Yeah. That's really so it's a, it's a beautiful flight of wine, so hope people can visit. So lay it down for how long, Dan? Well, given the fact... But 19 was such a good vintage, and given the fact that we already have experienced the 2011, so I would think that if you age this until 29, you're in okay shape. <laughs> Eight years. 29. 2029. Yeah. Eight okay. years. Okay. Yeah. Eight years. Okay. I never We usually don't do math. Twenty twenty nine. Eight more years. Okay. But or I think, or I think until Dan's can... grandchildren are in their fifties. <laughs> well, that's going to take a while. <laughs> no, I think the more important important thing is how the winemaker structured the wine. The, the numbers on this wine have to be so perfect, because what I'm tasting indicates that. And I look, I, I've been doing this column for 47 years, so I think I know what I'm talking about. This stuff is going to go for at least in eight more years, and maybe longer. This is a structurally fabulous wine. Yeah, built around the acid. I mean, it's the acidity, I think, that you, come, that you get out of those Green Valley grapes. You can yeah. almost smell it. It almost smells a little citrusy, and you, it takes a, a sort of a leap of faith to understand the citrusy notes in a red wine, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what I'm really going for with the wine is to have other elements other than that fruit. I mean, what you get out of that vineyard is fruit and, and good acidity. So what I like is this kind of background of potpourri, citrus rind, other things that you can get and you often get out of really nice Pinot Noirs, you know. And I think uh, fermenting in those punches, to be honest, you know, it, it's... I think it, it 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 kind of shows those other characters. You get a, a certain subtlety of maturity from the wood, but you don't get oxygen. And so, therefore, the wine is still kind of backward in one respect, but it also shows that it can age beautifully. And I think eight, year, eight more years is a piece of cake. I think it'll go longer. Yeah, me too. Let's, uh, well, you know me, let's try this Chardonnay. Oh, yes. Okay, let's we'll send that around. I know you're a big fan of Chardonnay, Steve, so we brought our 2018 River West Chardonnay. Now, this has got a, a fun little anecdote about Davis Bynum and Rodney Strong. You know, Davis and Rod knew each other way back when, and uh, Davis wanted to own the River West Vineyard. It's on West Side Road, far northern end of West Side Road, and he wanted to own this vineyard, but he found that Rodney Strong had right of first refusal, and so Rod... Bought the vineyard, you know, uh, from out from under Davis, as it were, 
And Davis just kind of moved on, you know. But all these years later, the Klein family bought Davis Bynum in 2007, and then we started making the River West Chardonnay with the Davis Bynum label. So Davis and I, anyway, used to laugh about that a bit, how, how those th- two things kind of married up over time. But It was meant to be. It was meant to be. So it's a, it's a fairly um, gravelly and sandy soiled vineyard. There's clay uh, mixed in as well. But it's it makes this. I, I it has a distinct expression. I think that uh, could be best described for me as as marrying up the apple and pear and floral tones, along with some flint. There's a, there's a kind of a minerally flint, flint I, character. I love that word, and I love that word when it's used. Now let me in wine. Let me let me reflect back tasting. on a tasting I or a, a, a luncheon that I had with Rodney Strong in uh, Los Angeles in. Uh, 1990. Wow. And I was at, it was a restaurant called Scandia, and we went to lunch at Scandia, and he poured for me a River West Chardonnay. But he had made it with far less oak than was fashionable at that time. And he called it Chablis-like. And this wine has a very faint hint of that Chablis component, but with more richness and more body but with great acidity, like a Chablis. Yeah. So you've got the aromatic of Chablis, you've got the aftertaste of Chablis, but the mid-palate is like a richer Burgundian-style wine. And those are those are hallmarks of my favorite Chardonnays, so it's, it's checking boxes for me. That was a fabulous, fabulous luncheon with Rodney because it lasted till like 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> Scandi was right up on Sunset Boulevard uh, in, in off of Doheny. And considered to be at that time the finest restaurant in Los Angeles. So well, that's <laughs> really yeah for Ross. That for, is a long time for Rodney ago. Rodney's trying to take me to lunch at Scandi was like you don't miss that one. <laughs> California wine country on this Wednesday brought to you by Bottle Barn. Dan Berger, of course, our guest today. The wonderful Greg Morthol, winemaker at Davis Bynum Wines. Greg. Thanks so much for coming back in. It's great to see you. It's been my pleasure, Steve. Have a great holiday season. I will. Thank you very much. And to all of you, too. And thank you for the Chardonnay. Yeah, my pleasure.